Thank you for coming Thank you for coming out. Welcome. My name is Dubs Weinblatt. My pronouns are they, them, theirs, and I'm so excited to be here. In 2015, I founded the queer improv show Thank You For Coming Out, or TIFCO as we call it, and it is now one of the longest-running queer improv shows in New York City. During the show, our storytellers share their coming-out stories, and then our improvisers bring them to life. Our podcast is a little different. We still have a storyteller share their stories, but instead of folks improvising, we talk about them. And... Today is a very special occasion. Uh, we have with us in the studio um, my dear friend and also co-producer of Thank You For Coming Out, Jess Ann Smith, she, her pronouns. Hi, Jess Ann. Hi, Dove. How are you? I- I'm doing so great. I'm in Brooklyn, which doesn't happen very often, mm-hmm. so I feel like I already had an adventure just coming here. That's amazing. Welcome to yeah. Brooklyn. Thank you. Uh, you should come to Brooklyn more. It's like I should. pretty cool. Every time I come, I find something amazing. Exactly. Um, I'm so happy you're here. Me too. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. Uh, so we all have multiple coming out stories, and I would love, and our listeners would love, to hear one of yours. Okay. Well, I happen to have brought some. Great. Uh, well... The first time, uh, the first thing I wanted to talk about was the first time someone came out to me mm-hmm. because it left quite an impression physically and mentally. Um, <clears throat> I grew up, uh, you know, and I, I didn't grow up like luckily with any kind of ideology or stigmatism that like homosexuality was bad or queerness was bad. It just like didn't really exist. Like we didn't really talk about it. I didn't have a lot of it in pop culture or anything like that. So, but I did do a lot of theater and I was super, super butch as a kid. And so much so that like I wanted to be a boy. And I I think maybe like now in 2020, we would have like different language around it, but I was just like very, very butch. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I found myself doing theater and I found myself doing a lot of tech in theater <laughs> and I hung out with the other theater techs. Um, I also performed on stage and still do. Uh, but I was with my friend. Oh, I'm changing all everybody's names just Great. to protect me and them. So there's my first real confession of the of the of the podcast. Um, but my friend Carla uh, she was helping me do some set decoration. I was like hanging. I was this like 14 year old with like, you know, probably shouldn't have been on this ladder, but I was on a ladder and I was on the set and I was hanging these curtains for our show um, where I was also like helping out backstage and in the chorus and all this stuff. And so Carla was like, hey, Jessanne, you want to see my prom picture? Because I was 14 and Carla was 21 and she had like gone to the same high school as me and whatever. So she pulls this prom picture out of her wallet and it is Carla in a tux and her girlfriend in a dress and I didn't understand the picture Mm -hmm. and I was so shocked I fell off the ladder oh my goodness (laughs) and so that was my first introduction to anything gay and I wasn't like shocked in a negative way I was just like didn't realize that could occur maybe (laughs) so um Carla and I stayed very good friends and uh she was like such an amazing uh, guide and mentor in my life and always was like, Jess Ann, you're gay. And I was like, no, I'm not. Oh, stop it. Um, 
And we now to this day, 20 years later, are still <laughs> friends. Um, but it, it, like, needless to say, it left quite an impression on me. Um, and all throughout like high school, you know, I think like puberty hit and I uh, kind of embraced my uh, feminist a little bit more, even though I didn't know how to articulate it. And I dated a whole bunch. I was like very relationship crazy. And I, as my sister put it later, I tried really hard to be straight um, just by like never really being single and never really uh, giving myself room to even think about dating someone other than like cis men. And uh, I think I didn't really have this like big moment of coming out more so I kept having people tell me like, Jess Ann, you're gay. Hmm. <laughs> Jess Ann, you're queer. And um, I, so I think I like to say that I got like pushed out of the closet in like a super loving way. Um, I'll wrap up by saying that just recently, and it's interesting, I feel like every time I kind of like look at my catalog of coming out, you know, uh, something new pops up that makes me like facepalm and be like, well, duh. Um, but I was uh, this weekend with my friend Tina, who I hadn't seen in a really long time, and I knew her in college. And I hadn't really seen her in like five years other than this weekend. And we were talking kind of about my queerness and my coming out more publicly over the last five years. And she was like, weren't you always out? Weren't you always just mm-hmm. queer? And I was like, no, what are you talking about? I was so closeted and I, you know, I never really – you know, face that while I was growing up. And she was like, no, remember, because you told me about that girl and that guy that you made out with at the same time and how you really like making out with a girl during summer stock. And I was like, oh, yeah, I guess I did, huh? But I never thought about that as a queer experience. And she was like, yeah, remember you told me about that girl that you had this really big crush on, but she was married and she kind of messed with your head. And I was like, oh, yeah, I did. And she's like, (laughs) she's just looking at me like, and none of that occurred to you (laughs) so um I feel like I'm not coming out to people I feel like people are like bringing me out to myself Mm. um and I guess apparently even though I've been like very out and proud and like very involved as an advocate and like a hopefully a role model of some kind in the queer community for the past several years I I still am learning (laughs) I'm still being uh, even though I've been a role model for the past several years, year, I need water too. <laughs> <laughs> even though now in my life I feel very like out and proud, I guess I'm still having experiences where people from my past and present are like pulling me out of the closet even more. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for having me. Thank <laughs> you for asking. Yeah, of course. I want to go back really quickly because I, f- I find it so funny that you describe yourself as butch and then you're like, and so I like dove into theater, <laughs> which is like, to me feels <laughs> like incredible and like what a beautiful thing to like associate being butch with theater. But that's not our like typical like where we jump when we think of that, of either of those. So I loved that a lot. Um, that's probably like indicative that I'm not really butch. Um, butch is a feeling. It is. So. It is a feeling. It's not one that I have very often. Although um, maybe this is a good time to say that I maybe spent an inordinate amount of time thinking about what I was going to wear mm. to this podcast recording. Oh wow! Okay. And I wore cool. my coolest butchiest stuff. 
I have my hair pulled back flat on my head, like a half ponytail, which feels really butch to me. Mm-hmm. I'm wearing a hoodie, but it's like kind of a really expensive designer hoodie that I got for $2. Sweet. Yeah. And I'm wearing the best fitting jeans that like aren't too skinny and aren't too wide that I really like. And then I'm wearing purple basketball sneakers. Have I ever seen you wear sneakers? No, you can look. They're pretty, I call it butchy, fabulous, chic. I agree. Those are that. So, and I, I think uh, I think I wrestle with, like, my, nor- my like, I think organic inclinations to, to, like, be a little more fluid in how I express myself in a butch way or a femme way because I'm very scared, I think, sometimes about being, like, the right kind of queer Mm-hmm. Or or having or fulfilling some sort of like expectation or fitting into a box. Yeah, I will say like when I was younger, I was trying to jump in the story too because I was like I was really butch, and then I did theater because I have to. Mm-hmm. I have only only four minutes. Um, but when I was more little, you know, I had uh, I played with pogs. I ran around and got dirty and wrestled, and I loved animals. I never like played with baby dolls or did a lot of maternal things. I was always like the vet or the dad. It was never like the mom or the wife mm-hmm. when we played make-believe. And I loved my Ninja Turtles and I loved my X-Men figurines. And I had Barbies because my sister had Barbies, but they were really just there so the X-Men could rescue them. Totally. Which, you know, we can spend a lot of time maybe breaking down like the problematic roles that I've put in place. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I th- and I think as I grew up and was trying like so hard maybe – to stay in the closet, I went to more like feminine societal norms and kind of like pushed all those things down and I never really got into sports. And so that's way maybe why I jumped into theater where I could be like out and playing characters in a way that still like fit into boxes. Yeah. Yeah. I think I've, I think that's such a common experience for folks to feel afraid of like authentic inclinations and then jump to like the other end of the spectrum of, and kind of like tamp, is that the right word? Like think like feelings and thoughts down. And so it makes me so happy when, when friends my age are letting themselves um, explore those parts that we hid for so long. Cause I, I did the same thing and um, I feel like Lauren Patton comes up in every episode, but she, um, she talks often and a lot, those are the same things, um, about um, really embracing her like fluid expression. And there are some days where she just really wants to dress in a more like what we consider to be masculine presentation and some days in more feminine presentation and really like taking time to to own it and to explore what that feels like. And um, I just think it's great that that you are well, first of all, that that you were able to dress in a way that you wanted to coming to the podcast, and I've because I don't think I've ever seen you dressed in a hoodie and jeans and like sneakers before, which is like oh, the only thing I wear. <laughs> <laughs> so I feel I feel happy. I feel happy for you. Thank you. Yeah, I feel happy too. While you were talking about like identities, it made me think about how like our the different identities that we hold, how they inform each other, mm-hmm. and. I kind of like skipped over um, how some of my identities informed my queerness. Mm-hmm. Um, 
like I said, you know, like when I was little, I wanted to be a boy. And then all throughout my adolescence and teens, like I just didn't really think about, I took it for granted that I was a girl, which is a, is a privilege that I now know. And, you know, something that I carry a lot more responsibility having, you know, as a, as a cis woman, but I didn't really think about myself as a woman and I didn't want to like own my womanness until I was in my like probably early twenties. And it's actually because I read a book by Anita Diamond mm-hmm. um, called The Red Tent. Yep. And, you know, th- that's really funny. And around that time that I was reading that, I was also kind of like um, coming back to an identity that I also didn't grow up with, um, my Jewish identity. I wasn't raised Jewish. Uh, my family like assimilated, long story short. Um, and it's an identity that I kind of like came back to as an adult because I wanted to like claim it and really kind of like go back to my roots. And that was a kind of coming out, too. Mm-hmm. I know not everyone agrees with me to compare different kinds of coming out, but I think the more ways that we can find connection and relativism with each other, the better. Um, and so, like, I kind of had this process of, like, coming out as a Jew at the same time that I kind of had this process of realizing that, like, yeah, I am a woman and that's something I'm okay with and that's something that I want to be. Um, and I that was kind of in my early 20s and coming out as not straight or queer or whatever different language I happened to use on any given day um, was something that kind of happened more towards the end of my 20s and when I turned 30. So, mm-hmm. um, But I'm still 24 if anybody asks, always, forever. Forever 24. Um, so yeah, it's kind of been this nice thing to like a tapestry to look back on and see how the, these different identities that I hold and others have kind of informed each other. Yeah, for sure. I'm thinking too about the notion of like wanting to be a boy and like, what does that mean? And I know you had said, um, but you said something about like, there would be different language to describe that now. And, and I wonder, and, and so in my mind, like, I don't need, we don't need to like retroactively label your identities, but it's just like, I'm thinking about, um, if, if kiddos had the language to be able to say, I am a girl and I, love women or uh, girls, right? Or I feel a tickle in my tummy when I see this person, this per- you know what I mean? And Or it is okay for girls to get dirty and play pogs and love X-Men. And instead of associating those traits with being a boy, I think, I mean, that's like breaking down the gender construct. But I just, mm-hmm. it's so fascinating to me because I think I felt the same way too. Um, I am not a woman. I don't, I'm, and so my path is different and I still use that language of like thinking in my mind like am I a boy like why does everything that I'm quote-unquote supposed to be doing feel so different and wrong than what I'm quote-unquote supposed to be doing mm-hmm. you know what I mean yeah I will say when I was younger I it was like that I even remember having conversations I, but it wasn't something that I thought of as like this intrinsic identity that I would need to shift or change it was kind of like well I want to be an astronaut. I want to be a boy when I grow up. Mm-hmm. It was kind of in that language. Although I was older, <laughs> I think too old to be using that language. I was like in fourth, fifth, and sixth grade. Um, I wore like silk collared shirts with ties. And my hair was like gelled back into a low ponytail. And, <laughs> and you want to see these <laughs> yes, pictures? Like, how did you know? <laughs> my um, face blew off my face. <laughs> and... Um, I think some of it um, was because I had an older sister who – I still have an older sister. She's amazing. 
Um, and she's like one of the best moms that I know. And when I see her, this is a tangent, uh, when I see her raising her daughter to, you know, love frozen princess dresses and also like legit rock climb, my little toddler niece rock climbs cool, and gets rough and tumble and falls down in the dirt. And so I think in some ways it's because my sister is such a great mom, but also because like it is a little bit, it's, you know, a few decades later Mm -hmm. and we're a little bit more expansive in what kind of boxes we try to put kids into or we don't try to put them into boxes as much yeah um I remember something that like really sticks out to me whenever I think about this kind of like wanting to be a boy I'm using bunny ear quotes um was that the teachers they would be like okay every you know if I was in class they'd be like okay everybody get into groups of two or three but Jesse you can't be with the girl you can't be with the boys Jesse you have to be with the girls and they were like trying to push me into this thing mm-hmm. that I didn't really fit into. Um, I think if there was better language or just like better leaving alone where I didn't have to say like, okay, I'm doing these like boyish butch things. Um, I think I maybe would have come to my queerness earlier, mm-hmm. maybe in a, in a more healthy way. And, uh, and I know, you know, I think it's always important to bring up and you know, that like gender and orientation are two very different things, but they are connected and they are related. And I think I maybe would have felt more comfortable and allowed myself to like fit into my queerness and my sexual orientation if I wasn't so worried about whether or not I was a boy or a girl. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think um, like when I do go into different organizations and institutions for trainings, I, I try to preface it with these gender limitations um, affect everybody and not just the, the folks in the queer community. And I feel like this is like a perfect example of you, you know, being pushed into a box you didn't fit in. And like, what were the ramifications of that? It's just interesting. Yeah. Just in case my parents ever listen to this, mom, dad, I love you. And and also, like, I kind of want the caveat because I think sometimes as we're talking about this, it's really easy to assume that maybe my parents were the ones pushing me into boxes. And they totally weren't. Like, my parents, you know, nobody's perfect. And we've had our own journeys together over the past decades. Um, I'm really happy to say that I have, like, lovely, healthy relationships with both of my parents now. Um, And when I was little, like, they didn't push me. Like, if I wanted you know, cut off cargo shorts and ties. Like they were so okay with it. Like they didn't try to push me into any boxes. My mom did stop at, I wanted in like the early nineties, there was this thing that was kind of like a, a faux mullet where you like shaved the sides of your head above your ears and still had bangs. Um, like it's, (laughs) I'm not remembering this, but it's it's pretty great. (laughs) <laughs> it was like, I don't know the right word. I'm sure a hairstylist would know. They were like layered clips of shaving into your temples. And I wanted it so bad. And my mom was like, no, the buck stops there. We're not doing that. Hmm. I always wanted like a short haircut and I was never allowed to. So I wore my hair up in ponytails every single day. And my dad, also caveat, love you, dad, uh, would like paid me money to wear my hair down because he's like, you have such beautiful hair and the whole world should see it. And I was like, then take it. Like, I don't want it. And still now he has no hair. And I'm like, please take it. I still don't want it. Um, but yeah, hair. Um, let's talk about Carla. 
Mm-hmm. Um, oh, I had to remember because I changed everyone's oh, name. Yeah. I had to remember uh, your, for a second. Uh, your teacher I, mentor. I remember. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> so had you had mentioned that Carla multiple times would be like, Jess Ann, you're gay. Did that ever happen before the prom photo or was the prom photo kind of like the first mention of anything queer between the two of you? I think it was, for me, in my memory, it was the first time or mention of anything queer. With the caveat, if we were to ask Carla, she would probably be like, what are you talking about? She was definitely, I think, somebody who you can see and maybe make an assumption or an understanding that this person is queer. You know, she she had like leather jacket, short hair. She was very cool. She loved the Indigo Girls. You know, it was like very, (laughs) very obvious maybe you could say in retrospect, but it just like, like I said, it just didn't occur to me. I feel like in some ways I'm a very slow learner with things like this, where it just takes me a while for it to occur. And then that did like open up ways that we could talk about, you know, her kind of like angsty, the, the, actually the person in the photo in the prom picture, you know, she talked about a lot and, um, you know, kind of like unrequited, that's the word I was looking for. Mm-hmm. Um, and we did talk about like other people she had a crush on, you know, if someone suggests it to you, you start thinking about it, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. of like, oh, am I this thing? Nah. Mm-hmm. You know, um, but then it was like an out thing. I remember um, my parents were also really amazing at letting me hang out with all these like funky, unusual theater friends because it wasn't like an after school program. It was like community theater. So there were friends my age. There were friends that were little kids. There were friends that were grown ups, And we had a kind of gaggle of us that always hung out. And we were aged range from like 14 to 26 and my parents were like, yeah, you're not hanging out with those people, you know, out and about in the world outside of theater, but they can all come here and we'll throw you guys pizzas and you can stay up and watch movies as much as you want and play games. And so in that way, my parents were like really, really cool. Mm-hmm. And I remember one time we were going over to Carla's to like hang out and, you know, I was a little bit older at that point and my parents had known them for a really long time. But I remember like my parents were already in bed and I was like, okay, I'm going to Carla's. And my mom knew that Carla was a lesbian, but my dad didn't. And I was like, by the way, dad, Carla's a lesbian. Bye. And I'm like, right <laughs> and I didn't like wait to see his reaction or anything. But I will say throughout uh, all of my years and all of my experiences with my friends, my parents have always been like, doors always open. Everyone's welcome. You know, if you need something, we're here for you. And that also has informed like my compassion as well. And I'm the same, you know, if anyone needs a place to stay, I'm like, you can stay with us. We have no room. We live in New York, but yeah, <laughs> we'll help you out. Um, have you ever seen First Wives Club? Yes. A it, long, it's old. It's a long it's time ago. Very old. But yeah. It's <laughs> timeless and incredible. So rewatch it. Um, please. But so there's a, a the uh, Diane Keaton's daughter's name is Chris and she comes out to her mom and grandma like in the beginning of the movie and it throughout they like go to a gay bar and like all these things and then at the end like (laughs) this is I don't recommend this but she like uses her gayness as like a weapon to like come out to her dad she's like I'm waiting for like the worst time possible to tell him 
And it's like right when he's about to. I mean, this is a spoiler alert, but also the movie's 30 years old, so you're fine. Um, 20 years, I don't know how old. Uh, but, anyways, this reminds me of what you just said to your dad. Of um, Right as he's about to like be reprimanded by the First Wives Club, she's like, Oh, daddy, by the way, I'm a lesbian, a big one. And then closes the door in his face, and he's just like, What the hell just happened? Anyways, it's amazing. I digress. Bobby, do you know what's up? Have you seen the First Wives Club? Okay. He's like, his face just flew off his face. Yeah. No, I, I remember <laughs> the scene you're talking about. Yeah. Also, to my dad's credit, I think it was, again, a situation where it was obvious to everybody but mm. me for a really long time. He's like, Jessen, she wears a leather jacket and listens to Indigo Girls. So, like, duh. <laughs> duh. Um, also, just want to name that um, people who are not queer can wear leather jackets and listen to Indigo Girls. And... Lots of queer people do too. Yeah, very much so. Very much so. Um, so I'm curious about um, like the kind of like the theme of your coming out story was really people coming out, like bringing you out. And like, I know for me, anytime anyone alluded to maybe I was queer, I got really freaked out and really scared. And like, I even went to a therapist once and in the first session, she said, so do you, are we going to talk about that you're gay, right? And I was like, what are you talking about? I was in high school. I was like, I'm not gay. And then I left the session. Like, that was that was it. And it, I was mortified and I was hurt and I was upset because I wasn't ready to talk about it. What I'm gathering from you is, like, you just didn't have any kind of, like, idea. And it seems like it's oh, it was, like, an okay thing for people to be like, oh, by the way, this thing's pretty gay. This other thing's pretty gay. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it was like more in conversations like I mentioned over this past weekend where my friend was like, no, that's a thing about you. Mm -hmm. And even other friends, I have some dear friends. I'm so lucky to still be close with um, friends that I've had in elementary school. And I have two friends in particular that I've kept in touch with three. And when I came out to them, like I felt like I needed to or something, they were like, yeah, none of this is surprising. Yeah. Like, we're not shocked in any way. Mm -hmm. um, so I've, in some ways, I've been really lucky uh, that I haven't had, like, a kind of an earth-shaking uh, situation where I had to worry about, uh, like, paradigm shifts for people. Um, except for, actually, you know, it's, it's kind of, I want to, I want to, like, take that back a little bit. Um, because I think something that kept me, like, in the closet longer than maybe I would have been otherwise was um, my first, like in my early 20s when I was in New York and doing theater, performing theater, um, you know, and you make like really close friendships in theater and because you're, you know, there all the time and you're backstage and you're bonding. And there were some friends, some straight cis women that I was friends with and I would talk to them, you know, just like we're talking, we're bearing our souls, we're talking about our friends, we're talking about people we like and I would try to come out to them like, oh, I think I like girls too or I would mention a specific girl and they would almost like put the hand up. This happened a few times, you know, and go, but you know I'm straight, right? Aye. You know, I don't feel like that, right? Aye. Where it wasn't, it was just like an instant like almost disgust that was yeah. pushed back at me that mm -hmm. kept me in the closet like way longer than I needed to because that fear of being like judged yeah. or them somehow like intimating that I was trying to come on to them. It felt right. so gross and almost like yeah. incestuous because it's like, no, I'm, I have sistership with you. I have, you know, I have a uh, friendship with you and I'm trying to come to you for support about this thing and you're making it about you and that 
is probably the yuckiest feeling. Yeah. I really, that, that, that notion of um, straight people um, feeling like you're hitting on them or um, I, I just, that my, my insides are like crinkling right now because I'm just like, that is so not, I don't, I don't know why I can't articulate what I'm feeling. I'm feeling a lot of things right in this moment. Um, not a good feeling and I'm sorry that you had to go through that and I can understand why that would you know, like hinder you wanting to like share that with other people because it's such not, it's not a good feeling. Like it's not in like an insult. It's not an insult for a queer person to mistake a straight person for queer because it's not a bad thing to be queer. And so it really, really upsets me when the, when that gets like conflated. I don't know if conflation is the right like term to describe that, but um, wow, I didn't realize how much that, that I'm like, I'm like really geared up. My gears are grinding. Yeah. Um, well, <laughs> this is a, this is a space. Like, I think, um, like, um, maybe we can. You mentioned a few days ago <laughs> on social media about yeah. like brave spaces versus safe spaces. Yeah. And I don't know if this is the right kind of brave space, but while we were kind of figuring out, like, how do we articulate this kind of icky feeling? when we're trying to relate to one human as another human, like about our likes or dislikes, and they make an assumption or a judgment mm -hmm. about what we do or don't like in reference to themselves. Mm -hmm. um, something came to mind. First of all, like I had two instincts right away. One, I want to like give you a big hug and make you feel better. I saw you try to like <laughs> lean a little. <laughs> There's a table in between us. And, um, and I kind of had a reaction. I'm, I'm very much like a caregiver. I recently read about like, these um, uh, like trauma responses and like lower brainstem responses about like fight or flight and then or freeze and also fawn is a new one I just learned about to like care give. So I think like my responses are very much rooted in like, oh, let me take care of whatever the situation is. And so I had like an initial instinct to like make you feel better, feel better. And then I also had an instinct to like, hey, straight people listening, like, Let's find ways to have like brave, courageous conversations and ask questions with ownership instead of like uh, putting the onus on the other person. Because yeah. I feel like in some ways that is part of what those interactions were. Um, and then my, my third thing was that I wanted to bring up an experience I had about identity in a different identity that I hold, my Judaism, which was questioned and refuted a lot and still does a Jew with a last name of Smith, which is the last name I have, um, gets questioned a lot, which also makes that same like icky feeling. Yeah. And a friend shared with me, uh, who also a, a dear friend that I performed with, performances are great. Um, she also came to Judaism like a little later in her life. And she was sharing with me that one of her, and we were kind of like commiserating that we get questioned a lot and like, are we enough as like Jews? And she shared with me that like one of her rabbis said, you know what, when people question your Jewishness, it's not about you. It's their own questions with their own Jewishness. Mm -hmm. And I think you can substitute that for whatever identity you're holding. Like when people try to tear apart or poke apart your queerness, it's because like they're struggling with security in their own identity. And yeah. I don't mean that in a combative way. I just mean in a way for us to like understand that we're all holding like different wounds and levels of identity and struggle and so often it like sparks off against another person's identity and another person's struggles and it sucks 
Yeah, it really sucks. Um, thank you for your instinct to take care of me. I'm I'm good, um, but I appreciate it. I I want to come back to talking about um, like you had said something about being the right kind of queer, and I, I kind of want. I think it kind of ties into like, am I enough? And um, when in in thinking about queerness and about Jewishness too, because as a trans Jew. Um, I get questioned and I have assumptions made about me too um, by certain folks in the Jewish community. And I, you know, for the, for 30 years of my life, I felt really disconnected from Judaism and really felt like I didn't belong and that I, there wasn't a place for me and that I wasn't enough. Um, And it wasn't until I kind of took ownership back and found spaces that were like, no, you are enough. You are welcome here. You are meant to be here was when I started to really understand that. But um, it's really challenging when the when like core identities that you hold and love about yourself, other people are questioning. That's really challenging dynamic to to deal with. Yeah, I've gone through different phases. I was actually just like writing about this today and I've been thinking about this a lot because now that I'm a very mature 24, Mm -hmm. now that I've been 24 for about a decade, um, you know, I'm in a place where I can maybe hopefully give guidance or share some experiences with some younger folks that I have the privilege to educate or facilitate or work with. And I'm constant, it's, it's shocking to me how much I'm presented with that feeling of like, oh, I am I Jewish enough to be here? Or am I queer enough to be here? Or I'm not really queer enough. I'm just bi. Um, those are quotes. I do not hold any of those opinions. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, you know, it, it resonates with me because I struggled with those same kind of feelings of uh, validity or uh, I felt like an imposter. Mm-hmm. Should I be here? Do I have a right to be here? Yeah. I'm not, I'm not the kind of gay that I think is the right way to be. So should I even come out? Is it even valid? Um, And just the answer is yes. Like no matter what the (laughs) answer is always yes, it is valid. You are exactly how you're supposed to be. And you are, you know, if you're Jewish, you are Jewish enough. If you're queer, you are queer enough. Like there is no, like there's a lot of spectrum and there's a lot of nuance, but there is no like identity that is not valid if you hold it in a truthful way. Couldn't have said it better myself. Air five. Um, <clears throat> yeah. Because I too, I think, you know, when I came out at um, 29 as genderqueer, I, I um, did not hold, I didn't use the word trans at all to describe my experience because I felt I really was struggling with, am I trans enough? What, and I can't hold this because it, you can only be trans if you're X, Y, and Z kind of trans. And um, it took me a long time to really understand, like, oh, this is a, a nuanced term, and there are lots of different ways that you can be trans, and there isn't one right way to be trans. Um, and now I proudly, proudly own that term because it describes my experience in a really authentic way. Um, and I feel the same way about Judaism, too, of, like, trying trying on different things that work and things that feel good and things that don't feel good don't do. And I don't know. It's, um, I feel lucky that I am part of a community, both my Jewish community, my queer community and my Jewish queer community. Um, 
that Venn diagram is fun. Um, that supports that exploration. And, and I feel affirmed and celebrated really all the time, which is lucky and um, rare and it shouldn't be rare, but I feel like it still is kind of rare, especially with holding two marginalized identities in that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you were talking about language, like using genderqueer and, and trans. Mm-hmm. And I've been lucky enough to know you long enough to hear you explore and you explore and use these words and mm-hmm. grow grow into how you hold these identities, which is so like beautiful and effing inspiring. I just bleeped my own self. <laughs> you really did. <laughs> um, <laughs> you can curse if you'd like, but you are not required to. I'm thinking, you know, well, just in case mom and dad listen. Yeah. Um, but thinking about like different terms and clarifying, um, I think it is uh, something that, people bristle at bristle might be a strong word but it's like well wait are you so you're bi right or so you're a you're gay but you're a woman so you're a lesbian and you know Mm -hmm. people have a need to categorize and make things fit which is a beautiful instinct it's what has helped us survive as a species for so long Um, but I find myself I've had some time to reflect on the way that I use all of these different words to describe myself and I almost use them as like different parts of speech Mm. like if I'm talking about myself in reference to my partner I'll say like I'll use it as an adjective and be like oh our lesbian relationship or our lesbian way of being and I do find myself code switching sometimes if I'm in with different groups of people referring to myself as gay or referring to myself as a lesbian and it's not like a calculated thing that I do it's just like the the word that seems to fit the best in the moment. When people ask me, I kind of have a canned response about like how I identify because I I don't use the word bisexual and a lot of people do and that there's a huge problem and struggle with bi-visibility. Um, and I, you know, I want to put that out there. It's just not an identity that I hold. I've never really held that identity, um, maybe, except for when like I didn't have better language. And mm-hmm. if I have to pick one, I probably identify as queer or gay, mm-hmm. certainly queer or gay before I def- like define myself as a lesbian, which I think is a, is a very gendered term, um, which is maybe why I still struggle with it a little bit. Yeah. Um, also a very, very valid identity to hold. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just not one that I hold all the time. And I think I still struggle with it because I think I can say for the most part, looking at me, I don't necessarily like pass as a lesbian. I'm doing the air quotes again. Um, or, you know, and, and there's a certain kind of, there's definitely a privilege that comes with that and a responsibility to, you know, have a lot of understanding about all the different identities that people hold that are visible and not visible. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, I kind of lost my train of thought, um, you know, but also like being aware that that's something I still struggle with because of these like maybe cultural norms that I've felt a lot of pressure about growing up. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, wait, I don't have like a leather jacket and and I do listen to Indigo Girls actually. <laughs> but you know, like those certain things that mean like, okay, you're this cool kind of thing that you're supposed to be and that's valid and that's enough. And so I, I think it, at the heart of it, like there's still a little bit of like wrestling that I'm doing within myself. Yeah, I think language, it's one of those other like nuanced conversations of um, these words and these labels hold a lot of power for a lot of people. And they also... Um, can negate people's experiences and they also can some 
some people don't have a word, you know? And I think from, from like the way that I think about it for myself at least is I needed to reject all words and all boxes first. And I kind of like swung to one end of the pendulum of like rejecting all kinds of stereotypes and all, um, binaries because I had found that they were, because I was being put in boxes that weren't where I belonged, they were really harmful for me. And so um, it took me a couple of years and lots of conversations in therapy to kind of find the middle again of like, these words aren't limiting if you can own them yourself and then people aren't putting them on you. Um, my sister and I were having a conversation once uh, and this was like when I had first come out and every time she would like, she would say something about like women or girls or something, I would be like, or he, or they, and like, why do we even have to like, and, and, you know, at some point she said to me, um, I like being a woman. I love it. And every time you add these other genders, like it, it's like negating my experience as a woman. And it wasn't exactly that words, but that was like the sentiment of this. And I was like, you're right. There is nothing wrong with being a binary gender. I am just not one. And so when people put me in that box, that's when it causes an issue. Um, and so, you know, I had a, I was in a training the other day too, about talking about he pronouns and she pronouns. And, um, I had said, you know, like traditionally masculine pronouns are he and traditionally feminine pronouns are she. And, um, someone said, um, in in the training, I think we should stay away from saying this is like traditionally masculine or traditionally feminine because that's limiting for other people. And I said, that is true. And think about the power that, um, a trans man feels when he gets to use he pronouns for the first time. And so it's one of those, it's like really complicated of like this language can be really limiting and really freeing at the same time. Yeah. I think when that was, that's exciting. I just, I had this like a whole bunch of like cheers inside me went up when you uh, exemplified that um, experience of um, a trans man being able to like loudly and outly use he, him pronouns. Yeah. Um, and in some like media and commercials and shows, you know, we're starting to like pop up. Yeah. Like represent- the Starbucks commercial. Yeah, the Starbucks yeah. commercial. And like representations of of that happening and being able to see that um, is is really, really beautiful. I got distracted and I forgot what I was going to say. Um, oh, I, I think for a long time I didn't have a word. I was just like, oh, I'm just not straight. Like that's mm-hmm. how I identified, yeah. not straight. Um, or, you know, some- some um, ways that I phrased it. I've, I've like written it, you know, in like journals from when I was a teenager. I even made some art about it. Was that like, okay, this is my philosophy. I don't, you know, I don't know about all this orientation stuff, but, and I'm going to use a, a curse word now. Um, but it's, um, you know, you love who you love and you want who you want and you fuck who you fuck. And they might not be the same person, uh, but those are the things that you hold. And I mm-hmm. think if there was a word for that, that's how I would identify. That's so far queer and gay. I, like, I think like, that's queer. queer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I finally, I finally found the word. Yay. Um, but uh, that, you know, and I, right, I even, I was mentioning this like last week. Um, I even used, like I referenced to myself, it was like, well, I'm like philosophically uh, gay or like philosophically bi, or I didn't, you know, I didn't know the words. Like in theory, I would be this thing mm-hmm. if I wasn't so straight. I'm very straight. Um, <laughs> So I think we always like kind of do this like dance and this beautiful discovery with language. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And when you are sharing this with a person, like in real time, um, maybe especially people who don't like hold or share these different identities or experiences, you are trying to condense like your beautiful years of wandering and struggle and discovery into a conversation. And so like they're kind of like hit in the face with it. And it is like they do balk. And, you know, not to excuse any kind of behavior that's not welcoming, but as I'm talking to you about like my journey and kind of remembering and going back, I see that like, wow, that's that's a lot sometimes. Mm-hmm. And um, it's really beautiful that there's a space like this and that there's more and more uh, media and conversation and awareness so that we can explore and so that we can kind of like detangle the nuance and the complication. Yeah, and I think that the more we do like untangle and have conversations that the less shocked people will be that um, our identities are different than theirs and our journeys are different than theirs. And also the dream, the hope is that, and it's happening, that kiddos are coming out younger and younger and they don't have to then come out. (laughs) I mean, as adults, it's hard doing that. Um, Less people will have to fall off of ladders. Right, exactly. Um, so, uh, we met on Tinder. We did. <laughs> and I forgot that until you reminded me yesterday. Yeah. You've forgotten it a few times. Uh, I'm not sure why I keep forgetting that, but, um, I will try to remember it. It's now in media. So <laughs> maybe I'll remember it there. Um, I'm also not good at remembering things in general. So this is why I take notes why, while we're talking. Um, but yay for Tinder. Yay for Tinder. Um, it's the only, you're, you're the only good thing that I found on Tinder. And to, to remind you and clarify, like we never went on a date. Right. I think we just went to lab school. We went, well, (laughs) actually, no, I have a very clear memory because now I get to confess. Okay, great. Um, so I first saw you at musical Megawatt at the Magnet Theater. Mm -hmm. I don't even know if it was called that then um but this was like over five this was a long time ago um and you were in a house team and you were such an awesome performer and I like instantly had an improv crush on you oh and have you told me that before I don't know if I have I don't think you have I was saving it very nice and I was like oh my gosh who is that I have to do musical improv with them they're so amazing and um and cute and (laughs) I'm (laughs) blushing (laughs) and uh you know, for for those of you not uh, familiar with improv, when you have an improv crush on someone, it's almost like a professional crush when, crush when you're like, oh my gosh, they're, they're such a great improviser. Um, it happens. I have some improv crushes. I've also had people confess that they have improv crushes on me, so it feels real good. It makes sense. Um, so anyway, um, my uh, partner at the time, a long, 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 many years ago, I don't know, um, whatever, circa 2000-something, um, my partner at the time, who was a straight cis guy who was like lovely and so supportive, was like, Jessanne, you're you're gay. You need you need to go figure that out. Mm-hmm. In like the nicest, most loving way. Um, and so I was like, okay, how do I be gay? Well, I better, you know, or like how do I explore this? Well, I, I better go on Tinder, because like that's what people do, right? <laughs> like I've never really dated, I've never really been single or single. So I was on Tinder and I was just swiping and you connect it to your social media. So you just get to see like how many friends you have in common. And we had like 80 friends in common. Mm. So I just like couldn't believe I hadn't met you. So I was like, oh my gosh, we have to meet and do improv. And then I ran into you at a SAG after event with TJ Mannix. That's mm. a real name. Yes, TJ, a, a previous podcast guest. Um, yes, I felt like that was okay because 
Yeah, that's cool. We're friends and we know him. Um, and so, and then, and it was like, okay, so when can I finally ask you to coffee? Because I want to do improv with you. And then we finally did get coffee at the Bean or something like that by Union Square. I remember that. Yeah. Yes. And we did have, com- we had conversations like similar to this, but I think we were both more in like our baby stages of yeah. these conversations. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I finally started doing thank you for coming out. Um, I mean, if you're comfortable, do you want to talk about the why it was so special when you did thank you for coming out for the first time? Yes. You remember that. I remember lots of things and I forget lots of things. <laughs> this was very important. So I remember, of course. This was very important. So, um, you know, I think I was more comfortable being like, quote unquote, philosophically queer <laughs> at this point. <laughs> this was in 2015. And I was in a... Uh, LGBTQ marching band at the time called the Lesbian and Gay Big Apple Corps, which is amazing. Um, and but they they are very open and welcoming to everybody, including allies. So I was like, oh, I'm an ally, mm-hmm. right? And I still like had a boyfriend for all intents and purposes, and you know I was still like living kind of a very straight life. Um, so I was so so excited to do thank you for coming out and I was so excited to be connecting with you and then it didn't occur to me until I was on the way walking from the subway to the show that I was like oh shit I haven't come out yet <laughs> like yeah. oh shit I'm gonna be posting this and my family and people are gonna see this that this is a show for LGBTQIA plus people this is not for allies so <laughs> I'm walking and it's dark it was like a 10 o'clock show or a 10 30 show or something and I called my sister-in-law um who I'm very very close to who's amazing and she is technically the first person in my family I guess I had kind of talked to my little sister about it um but not in a super official way and um so I called my sister-in-law and I was like I have to tell you I'm on the way to do this show and I just have to tell somebody in my family like I I like boys and girls like I you know I didn't even have the right language back then mm-hmm. um you know I like everyone and um I'm not straight and I'm going to go do a show about it right now and I just have to tell you um and my family calls me Jessie and she was so she was like well of course Jessie like that's okay like whoever you love is okay and that's really cool and I'm so glad you told me and you know I'm paraphrasing but she was amazing and um, she's to this day amazing about everything. And this is a real name too. I love you, Julie. And, uh, yeah, so that was kind of a really big deal. And it was like very much like an, oh crap moment mm-hmm. of like, do I want to be doing this? Am I ready to do this? I guess I am. And it was amazing. Um, and it was fabulous. Oh, actually I realized I messed up my own timeline. I wasn't in the big gay marching band at that point. Because I learned about it at that show. Mm, I was going to say. So I don't. I didn't wanna, no, please. Yeah, <laughs> yeah please Because I, I remember that that was like a big. Yeah. Another big connection fe- that happened that night. That I, yeah. that I did find that. So I think I wasn't. I wasn't in any way. Like maybe I was just like a big ally and liked rainbow things on, on social media at that point. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, I actually, I found this like beautiful uh, band, the Lesbian and Gay Big Apple Corps, um, that night through the storyteller. Mm-hmm. Um so yeah, wow, that's so funny how we like mix up our own timelines. So yeah, it was an even bigger deal than I was making it out to be. Um, and I think I continued to kind of, I was like very out on social media and out in New York, but I think I continued to kind of like not be super, super out to my parents until I started, until I stopped dating um, the like straight boyfriend 
until I kind of got out of that situation. Um, and then I would like had to, t- <laughs> then I had to tell them like it was the, it was overdue. Um, so yeah, that's so funny. Mm-hmm. It's good. That's what thank you for coming out is for. Yeah, it was, it was great. <laughs> um, that's literally thank you for coming out. Yeah. And you did. I, it was very meta. Yeah. Um, you're my co-producer. I am. Um, and I'm just uh, very grateful for you because um, it's challenging when you build, when one builds something from the ground up. Um, it like becomes your baby. And it's really scary to um, like hand over parts and like re- like responsibilities and ownership of certain things that you've held for so long. And so I just want to say thank you for being a person that I could trust to hand over parts of this baby that I have that is mine and uh, now ours and Bobby too who's my other co-producer of this podcast um it's just lovely to have a team of people who support you and love you and encourage you and are your cheerleaders and um I'm just really grateful for you Jessan and for you Bobby too um so I don't want to do this but I have to move us into our last segment any, it seems like there's, we have a few minutes if there's like last minute stuff that you want to make sure you talk about. Oh, okay. Okay. I'm looking at my notes. Um, oh, I did want to share something. <laughs> um, there were some, a few things that you had sent me to like think about. Like yeah. if I had advice for my younger self, mm-hmm. um, the first thing I wrote was dump his ass. I'm not talking about <laughs> the most recent boyfriend. He is lovely. Um, but I think that was, just, that was like the first thing that came up to me of like, you know, uh, don't hold on to things because you're scared of finding a new thing. Um, and I would encourage my younger self or any younger folks listening to like not put so much, not put like more weight on a relationship than you put on yourself. And um, like, don't be in such a rush and listen more than you share. Yeah. And I would say even not young people, all people, all people. Yeah. Um, that's beautiful. Also, the song that makes my heart soar is We Built This City by Starship. It's a good song. It's a good song. I have it on vinyl. It's one, it's a little scratched, but it's so, so great. Mm-hmm. That is a, that is a heart soaring inducing song for sure. Um, dump his ass. <laughs> I don't even know, like, which That's, him I was talking it's about. It's amazing. It doesn't... Like, instantly <laughs> popped into my head. <laughs> um, okay. So this section is the rapid fire. So I'm just going to quickly read to you options, and you just pick the one that resonates with you uh, the most. First, um, pencil or pen? Erasable pen. Great. Acting or singing? Blah, both. Dogs or cats? Yeah, both. <laughs> Beach or mountains? Mountains. Meat or veggies? Veggies. Bagels or donuts? Donuts. Am I kicked out? What do we do? The door is that way. Bye. Thank you for having me. Thanks for coming out. Bye. <laughs> um, it's like fine, but also really rude. We'll um, talk. Yeah, we'll talk. Uh, train or plane? Plane. Sweet or salty? Salty. Coke or Pepsi? Seltzer. Mm, night or day? Dusk. Ooh. Favorite kitchen item? My Nespresso machine and my Bialetti and my French press and anything that makes me coffee. 
Lovely. Um, who are we talking to? And as I was going through these, they're like, your categories are so binary. And I'm like, that's so true. <laughs> um, but I like that guests have taken it upon themselves to um, assert what they love, like Dusk, right? Good. Mm. I love it. One of my dance teachers said that we should always have somewhere to come from to go to. And I feel like in some ways giving options, not binary is mm-hmm. not always a good option to give or that is not always the best approach. But sometimes when we're doing either or when we're setting up structure, having one place to come from and explore around is, is helpful. I agree. It's a jumping off point, a launch pad, if you will. A launch pad. Um, what are, do you have social media that folks can follow you on? Any like websites, things we should know about? Yes, you can go to at thank you for coming out. (laughs) Um, I'm also, um, I don't know if I really have New Year's resolutions, but for a long time I've, I have just been like, I should get better at social media. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm responsive on it. I don't post as much maybe as I would like to, but I am at the real Jess Ann, J-E-S-S-A-N-N. Amazing. Um, Thank you so much for being here. You are a joy, a delight, and just the best. Ditto, kiddo. Love you. Love you. Thank you for coming out. Hey, it's Dubs Weinblatt, your host of Thank You for Coming Out. Thank you so much for listening with an open heart and an open mind. Please subscribe to our podcast on the platform of your choice. And don't forget to rate and review us. It really helps.